Mic check, one, two, one, two. Coming to you live from my freezing ass basement suite that I live in because the people upstairs moved out and I don't have a thermostat down here. So, and it's minus 45 outside, I'm fucking freezing. I had to do this shit for two years in the gym, We're doing it again all over. It's all good though, we'll get through it. Um, so it is just me on this episode and probably for the foreseeable future. Um, for those that don't know, when we started this podcast, Kevin and I lived together. I've known Kevin my whole life. That's like, he's, he's not even a friend. That's just my brother, you know. Um, but now that I've moved out, we all we both kind of work weird hours. And he has, you know, Cade's 13 months old now. Um, so it's, it's tough to find time to, to podcast and put out a weekly episode um, together. So I'm going to take the reins and do do the majority of it solo. Um, but he's definitely going to be be popping by and, and we'll we'll keep him on the show. He'll be a regular guest throughout, you know slash co-host i guess um but so today what i want to do i want to get into the squat technique we did the bench technique uh podcast and promised about the squat and the deadlift so i want to do the squat one right now um basically i want to run through a quick how-to um in terms of techniques uh for the squat or the technique for the squat um i don't want to spend a ton of time on it because podcast is a tough uh platform to do that from basically i want to just kind of take you through the cues i teach my athletes on day one um and then we're going to talk about the benefits of box squatting or why we box squat the majority of time versus free squatting. Um, so hopefully we can get enough information through those two topics because I think just doing an episode on technique is going to be tough to tough to get across what I'm trying to get across unless you're really good at picturing stuff. Um, but let's start with, with the technique. Let's start with how to squat. Um, so whenever an athlete comes into the gym, we're doing level one, obviously, until they're ready. Uh, to, to move on to level two and to level three till they're uh, ready to get that weight on their spine. Um, so when we're when it's time to squat, uh, the first thing we're going to do, generally I'll, I'll teach them on the duffalo bar. Uh, I think that's the closest to a straight bar that we have, and I never use a straight bar with my athletes if you ever watch our videos. Um, well, I shouldn't say never. Like if we test the squat to get on the board, uh, then it's a straight bar. Um, but 99% of the time it's a specialty bar. Uh, I just... Over the years of training and powerlifting, I realized the straight bar really beat up my shoulders and my upper back a lot. Um, Donnie Thompson talks about the same thing. He's talked with a lot of, uh, of, of um, surgeons and physios and chiros, and um, they all kind of talk about how the straight bar isn't really biomechanically correct for the human. It's the bar they always use, so that's the one that stays in competition, but it's not your ideal bar um, if you're if you're trying to squat so we use primarily specialty bars at my gym we have uh the duffalo bar um the canebird bar the safety bar this is much easier to remember when i'm actually at the gym um we have our, our eight foot bulldog straight bar that we use like i said to test to get on the board um but generally when i'm teaching athletes to squat i'm going to use the duffalo bar because that'll replicate the straight bar to the, the closest we can without using a straight bar um, which is what the athlete is probably going to be the most comfortable squatting with because they probably spent their entire career squatting with a straight bar. Um, so we're going to start with the duffalo bar because that's close to what a straight bar feels like, but, but better for the, uh, for the upper back, for the shoulder blades, elbows, wrists, uh, shoulders, obviously. So uh, we'll set the duffalo bar up, and then I'm going to set the mono to, uh, to the right height that they need. And uh, if your gym doesn't have a monolift, I always have to mention this when I, uh, when I talk about my monolift. If your gym doesn't have a mono, then it's not a real gym. You need to get the fuck out of there and get to a real gym ASAP. Um, that's, just, that, that's a big thing to me, man. The day I started training athletes, really the day I started powerlifting, I knew like I need a gym with a fucking monolift in it. Like That was my goal. A lot of people want to buy fancy cars and shit. I just wanted to buy a monolift. You know? I thought 
when I get a monolith, that means I made it. And guess what, motherfucker? I got the best monolith money can buy. So if you've never been in a monolith, I encourage you to come through the Gorilla Compound and try it out. Uh, and like I said, if you don't have a monolith in your gym, that means you're in an L.A. fitness. If you look down and there's carpet in the gym, you're in a fucking L.A. fitness. You need to get the fuck out of there because uh, great athletes are not made in commercial gyms, sorry to say. Uh, so we get the, the bar set to the right height in the monolith. From there, the first thing I'm going to teach them, and one of the most important things, is how to unrack the bar, right? You'll notice the theme between the squat bench and deadlift. It's all, it's all about how you set up and how you prepare to do the lift, right? I always think of movement as like entering a single lane tunnel. You know what I mean? So by that, I mean, if, if we consider that, uh, we, I call it the movement tunnel. So when you move into this tunnel, if you go in in bad position, it's almost impossible to reclaim good position, right? But if we go in in good position, it's a lot harder to break that and end up in bad position, even with a heavy load, right? That's what max effort day is. We're trying to work up to as heavy a load as possible without technique breaking. As soon as we see the, the slightest break in technique or the smallest hint that there might be a break in technique, that's where we cut it. We only train to technical maxes. Um, so, but anyway, back to the, the concept of the movement tunnel. So uh, we want to enter this tunnel in good position and that all starts from our setup. So the first thing we're going to do uh, with the bar is we're going to get centered or get the bar centered in the rack and then get ourselves centered on the bar. So the way I do that, if you kind of picture you're standing in a squat rack with your hands on the bar, um, I would take my, like the outside of my hand, the outside of my pinky will be uh, on either, it depends if you're in a, like a squat rack, if they'd be touching the end of the bar for me. Um, I always, like when I trained at commercial gyms and I wasn't as big as I was near the end of my career, I could get my hands inside a seven foot bar. By the end of my career, I need an eight foot bar just to get under it. And I was still touching the collars. Um, I just had such poor range of motion through my shoulders. Um, so for me, when I'm measuring to get even, I'm going to take kind of my pinky off the edge of the bar. Like I said, uh, for athletes and get their hands closer. Um, I'll generally have them line their hands up off the mono hook, right? So you're kind of a thumbs distance or whatever from the mono hooks, um, or J hooks if you're in a squat rack. Uh, and then from there, that, that's going to tell us the bar is centered, right? So when we have the, the thumb is at the same point on each side of the bar, that's how we know the bar is centered in the rack. Now we can center ourselves on the bar and that's easy to do because the bar has knurling in the center. If the bar doesn't have knurling in the center, uh, it's either an Olympic lifting barbell, which is fine. You can squat with that. It's like, like only squatters do it all the time. When you see the Korean guys squat 660 pounds at 110 pound body weight or whatever crazy shit they do. Um, they're doing that with an Olympic bar. So it must be a decent bar to squat with. Um, but more than likely it's probably just a shitty commercial bar. And uh, you definitely would, in that case, want to find a better bar to squat with. A proper squat bar is going to have knurling and, and particularly wide knurling uh, in, the, in the middle just to kind of help. It, it's safer, right? More friction uh, keeps, helps keep the bar on your back, helps prevent rolling and sliding down the back, which is fucking scary uh, when the weight gets heavy. I've had that happen. Um, so we, center, we want to center off that middle knurling, like I said. And then from there, a lot of athletes will kind of duck their head to one side or the other to get under the bar. I always have my athletes squat straight down and keep their eyes on the middle of the bar until they get under. And that way they know their center. Because a lot of times uh, when athletes dip their head to the side, they're going to end up shifting their body to that side. So like um, I had like Dex was really bad for it. He would duck his head to the left every time he got under the bar and he'd end up an inch off center to the left every time. Right, I had to bark at him to fucking squat straight down, keep your eyes on it, come straight up. You know what I mean? Just so you're you're centered. Um, and then once we're once we're centered and we're under the bar, now we kind of want to find the shelf. And this is this is the 
depending on how you look at it, it's the downside or the upside to specialty bars, is that each bar sits in a different position on your back. That's what changes the leverages. That's what helps us um, avoid accommodate, accommodation or the biological law of accommodation, uh, which states that if you do the same thing at 90% or above for more than two weeks in a row, your body will accommodate to it and you'll get worse at it. Um, so in order to, to avoid that, we have to switch bars. But like, take for example, the cambered bar generally sits higher up on the traps than the duffalo bar does. Uh, the duffalo bar kind of fits in that where a straight bar would be considered a, a low bar squat. This is the other downside to solo podcast. You have to, we have awkward pauses while I take drinks. <laughs> I, my mouth is dry as fuck. I got a drink though. Um, so yeah, the bars sit in different spots, uh, which kind of makes it tough to, especially for, for athletes that aren't um, used to specialty bars, which is the vast majority of them. Um, probably the first three to four times they use the bar is just going to be them trying to figure out where the fuck it sits on their back. And I can, it's easy when I see it and I can explain it to them. It's impossible to explain on a podcast the nuance of each bar. Uh, that's kind of, that's why it's so important for your coach to have under the bar experience, right? Like if your strength coach didn't squat 900 pounds, I'm going to say your strength coach wasn't strong, right? That's because I squatted 900 pounds. So that's just, that's the fake rules I make up. Um, but yeah, you got to have some under the bar experience so you can kind of coach your athletes through this, right? Um, you don't necessarily have to squat 900 pounds, but you have to get under some heavy weight and understand, okay, this is how I like the cambered bar to sit versus this is how I like the duffalo bar to sit. Um, I had it, like, by the end of my career, I had it down to a science. I knew when the bar was a fucking millimeter off, right? Like, it was just, it was a scar worn on my back from every bar uh, that we use, just from constant, constantly squatting. So once they're centered, they're under the bar. Now we're ready to unrack, right? So I always preach to my athletes, treat the unrack like it's a high squat, like it's the top eighth of your squat, and levitate the bar out of the rack. That's a really important point i see a lot of athletes when they the first time they unrack they do this fucking like especially like mike is really bad for this and i imagine a lot of d1 athletes are really bad for this because they're taught to like jump when they squat so they like jump the bar out of the rack and it's like it's cute when you do it with the empty bar with a plate or with two plates um, but it's fucking ridiculous when you're doing that with seven eight hundred nine hundred pounds right um, which obviously, you know, no football player is probably ever going to get under 900 pounds in their playing career and they don't need to. But like when you get anywhere, like if it's not the bulldog squat bar, anything over 500 pounds is going to start to bend the bar. And if I have my lineman squatting 600, 650 pounds, you know, that whipping is really a dangerous thing and it's wasting a ton of energy just trying to stabilize the bar. So I say, I always tell them to levitate the bar out of the rack. So it's almost, it's, it's like a really smooth unrack you know it's not a jerky jump out of the rack and the bar whips around um, levitate the bar out of the rack at that point we'll pull the hooks out because we have a monolift uh, if you don't have a monolift then you're going to walk the bar out um, so i kind of i did an instagram post about this at some point somewhere if you do a dive on my instagram you can find it um, two options when you walk out i'm not going to spend much time on this because you really should be using a monolift uh, they're safer and they're just better um, but if you're going to walk it out, two options to walk it out. You can either step back, step back and squat. If you're a close stance squatter, um, or if you're wide, medium to wide stance, you can go diagonal, diagonal, uh, and then about 45 degrees. And then you're at your width, or if you're a really wide squatter, then you're going to go back, back out, out, take four steps, uh, to set up, but always 
have it cut down to that either two steps or four steps and have it as a rhythm and a pattern make your walkout identical every time especially if you're box squatting when you walk out you want to make sure that you're at the same position in relation to the box each time this is another benefit to the monolift there's no doubt that you'll be uh, in the in the same position and for those that don't know what a monolift is basically you just unrack the bar and then i can pull the hooks out of the way so you just have to squat you don't have to move right you just stand up hooks move you squat hooks come back you rack the bar uh, it's brilliant. I don't know why anyone would squat with anything else. So now the bar is unracked. Uh, we're ready to squat. So the first thing we're going to do before we squat, we're going to twist the hips into the ground. So we're going to create an external rotation force through the hips by squeezing the glutes, right? And we're, we're screwing the feet in an outward direction. They're not going to move because all our weight and all the weight of the bar is driving down on them. Um, but we're going to screw out in an outward direction. Imagine you're like, you're, you're have a screwdriver and you're screwing a, a piece of, a, a a screw into a piece of wood however, however the fuck you would say that you know i'm a strength coach i don't build shit um but you right you turn that screw out right externally rotate to tighten so we're going to generate torque through the hips by externally rotating at the hips and trying to t twist the feet out um, and, and really important with this, make sure the athlete is twisting out at the hips and not at the knee. Um, for, for a little while, I was just twisting at my knee, uh, and that created a ton of, of t uh, problems in my knee, obviously, a ton of pain. Um, I was just missing range of motion in my hips. I was, I was on lockdown through the hips, so they weren't rotating properly, or enough, I should say. Um, but anyway, make sure the rotation is coming from the hips. So we're going to screw into the floor, twist the hips. We're going to squeeze the glutes, pull down and inflate, meaning pull the ribs down, inflate into the trunk 360 degrees, push out on the belt if you're wearing it. Um, we're going to bend the bar around the back, depending on what bar we're using. If it's a cambered bar, obviously you can't, or a front squat. Um, but we're going to bend the bar around the back, and then we're going to break back at the hips, bend the knees, open the taint, sit on the box. The really crucial thing with a box squat, you need to sit all your weight on the box and simultaneously have it in your feet. I don't know how to explain how you do this. Um, you just fucking do it. You figure it out. <laughs> it's, it's, it's a feeling thing. You got to get comfortable with it. A good coach, a, a good box squatter can see it when you're doing it right. Um, so I can coach my athletes through it just with my eye, but I don't know how to explain how to do it. I can just tell them until they feel it kind of thing. Um, but you need all the weight sitting back on the box and simultaneously in your feet. Uh, and then from that point, the first thing, you should have a slight lean when you're sitting on the box. You shouldn't be perfectly upright. If you're perfectly upright and you're rolling off the box, that's an incorrect box squat. And what's going to happen when we take that box out is you're going to try to do that out of the bottom of your free squat and you're going to get fucking demolished. And everyone's going to make fun of you on Instagram and it's just going to be an embarrassing thing. So, I mean, just don't, just box squat properly. So there should be a slight lean um, when you're sitting on the box. Basically, if you look from the side, if you have someone take a picture or a video or you have someone that you trust look and tell you, um, when you look from the side, the bar shouldn't be directly over your hips when you're sitting on the box because that would mean you're sitting perfectly upright. The bar shouldn't be in front of your knees because that means you're leaning too much. Um, the bar should be somewhere between your knees and that perfectly erect position. Everyone's going to have a little bit different of an angle, but you want a bit of a forward angle uh, when you're sitting on the box. And that's really important for this next step because the first thing we're going to do when we come off the box is not push on the floor. We're going to push on the bar. So when you, when you watch videos and you hear me say traps, that's what I'm telling my athlete to do. I'm telling my athlete, drive your traps into the bar. Traps have to go first. What's going to happen when you push on the floor first uh, is you see it, it's such a common thing push on the floor, the ass shoots up behind them, and then it's like a good morning. You know what I mean? So super important that we drive the traps into the bar first. Um, I always, I tell my athletes if they can't figure out that cue, if it's not computing with them, um, 
what, what we're trying to move is the bar, not the earth, right? And it's kind of, it's co contrary to what I teach on the bench because I tell you to drive the earth down. It's, it's not, the cue is just the way to get you to understand it. It's not the set in stone, this is what I literally mean. It's just what I want you to visualize so you can feel, basically. Um, so that the, the cue that I like to use with the squat, like I said, or, or to tell the athlete is that we're moving the bar. We're not moving the earth. So the traps have to go into the bar first and then we're going to drive into the earth, right? So traps first, and then we split the floor. As soon as you feel the, the shift from isometric, uh, hold on the box or isometric phase, uh, in terms of muscle action into a concentric phase and you feel the weight kind of drive into your traps then you're going to split the floor and you're going to drive your hips through violently right squeeze the glutes at the top um, come back to neutral don't drive the hips forward just come back to neutral uh, that's a really important thing too i see with a lot of football players again it's something i think when they learn to when they learn to squat in college or in high school and they're told to jump at the top of their squat um, i think they try to do that, but with a wider stance. Because I have my all my athletes squat with a wider stance than they think they should. I just have them stand, uh, squat with the stance where they can hold neutral to the deepest position. Um, but it just so happens that for most people, it's wider than you think it would be. It's usually about shoulder width or just outside of shoulder width. Um, but a lot of people, a lot of athletes, especially football players, for some reason, they all want to squat in close. Um, and it's something, you know, I don't want to go on a tangent about it. Maybe I'll try to, let me write in my notes here. We'll talk about why wide stance versus close stance at the end. Um, but that's another crucial thing. So let me write that down live while I try to talk. I can barely write when I don't try to talk. Never mind, both at the same time. Close stance. Okay. So bring the hips back to neutral, uh, and then re-rack the bar, or do your next rep, just repeat it basically. Um, but that's squat technique. That's the, that's the spiel that I give my athlete. Uh, the first time I have them in the mono, and we're actually squatting weight. Um, so uh, that's tough to understand through a podcast. I'm definitely hoping to put out uh, videos. I know Kevin Vollen told me to do them um, on the last podcast, or on the bench podcast, I should say. Um, so I'm, I'm going to try to do them at some point, but I can't promise that. I'm fucking busy. Um, but enough about the technique why box squat what is the reasoning why do we box squat 99 percent of the time versus a free squat uh, at the gorilla compound and there's a ton of reasons for this right uh, one of the easiest reasons to understand is that when you find the right depth with the box height um, then you know that you're hitting depth with every squat right when you free squat and you'll see it all the time with athletes as the weight gets heavier the squats get higher and higher help fuck athletes i did it all the time as a power lifter right my third attempt was definitely not as deep as my opener uh, my opener was not fucking deep i was not a deep squatter i didn't buy into that shit <laughs> i i squatted to depth i was trying to get two whites i didn't need three of them all right <laughs> Um, so, but anyway, when you set that to the depth that you want with the box height, you know, you're hitting depth. So you do 10,000 squats, you know, you hit depth 10,000 times versus a free squat where it's kind of, oh yeah, you know, maybe you didn't hit depth, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. So yeah, it was deep enough, whatever. Um, with the box, you know what you're getting, uh, in terms of depth. Another thing, when you sit back on the box, when the, if you sit back properly on the box, your knee should be directly over the ankle or a little bit back. So it should be perpendicular to the ground or the knee a little bit behind the ankle. And when you're really strong through the hips and you're able to sit back on the box so that the knee is behind the ankle or behind the heel a little bit, um, you're engaging a ton of hamstring because you almost have to pull yourself off the box like it's a leg curl. And this is another thing that is almost impossible to explain. Um, it's just when you box squat properly and you have to have really strong hips to be able to sit back this far uh, to do this. Um, but when you, when you sit back on that box and you 
go to drive your traps, you're going to notice that you have to pull through the heels and engage the hamstring to kind of get yourself forward, and then you can bring your hips through. Um, so we're getting a ton of hamstring recruitment on each uh, on each rep, right, if they have strong enough hips to sit back. And the thing about box squats is that's how you build the hip strength so you can sit back. Um, and that's, in terms of technique, that's the one place where the box squat kind of differs from the free squat. Um, with the free squat, it's less about sitting back and more about opening the taint, I find. Um, unless we're talking like equipped powerlifting, but I'm just talking for athletes in general. Um, the box squat, you're able to sit back a lot more, and we want you to sit back a lot more. Um, it, it may it may not be the same technique as a free squat, but I feel like pound for pound, it's a more efficient uh, way to train. We get more out of each rep with it for these reasons. Um, so it's less stress on the knee when you sit back, like I said, uh, and a lot more hamstring recruitment uh, for the squat, which is crucial. Um, all strong athletes, fast athletes, athletes that can jump high, they all have incredibly strong, powerful hamstrings. Um, it, all, it all starts and ends, I think, with the whole posterior chain, low back, glutes, and hamstrings, right? Uh, and, and your trunk, of course. Um, another reason uh, for box squats, so when we're sitting onto the box, we have two phases taking place. We have a static overcome by dynamic phase and a relaxed overcome by dynamic phase. So what does that mean? So let's go static overcome by dynamic first. Uh, and I feel like we've touched on this before, but we'll, we'll go over it again. Um, static overcome by dynamic means that there are some muscles when you're sitting on the box and, and in that phase where we talked about where you have all the weight on the box and all the weight in your feet, um, where some muscles are contracted and holding, but they're not eccentrically, eccentrically lengthening and they're not concentrically shortening. Holy fuck, those were painful to say. Um, but they're just, they're, they're, they're under load, and the load may be changing, it may not be changing, um, but the length of the muscle isn't changing. So that's static overcome by dynamic, meaning that it has to explosively contract. Um, and when we have this static overcome by dynamic phase, that's how we build absolute strength, right? And for those that don't know, absolute strength uh, is the most, the absolute most strength you can generate uh, without involuntary contraction. So like electrical shock or plyometrics are the way that we can kind of get into this, this realm of strength. Um, but box squats will build absolute strength, whereas free squats will not because you don't have that static overcome by dynamic phase. Um, you do, I mean, of course, the muscle action has an isometric phase to it between eccentric and concentric, but it's a lot, it's, it's less and you can't hold it for as long, right? You can sit on a, you can sit in the bottom of a free squat for about two seconds before you start to lose your stretch reflex. Uh, you can sit on a box for about eight seconds before you start to lose the stretch reflex. Uh, so another benefit that I didn't even write down, but just thought of great, great uh, tool for training offensive and defensive linemen in football because we can train for long snap counts. We can have them sit on that box for eight seconds and get up with the same fucking power as if they would have just, you know, sit, hit, and explode how we'd normally box squat. Um, so that static overcome by dynamic phase, that's going to build absolute strength. The relaxed overcome by dynamic phase, what I mean by this is when you're sitting on the box or when you, when you are going through the motion of sitting on the box and then coming off the box. Some muscles in your hips are going to relax. And that's another thing, that's another benefit the box squat has over the free squat is that these muscles relax and then have, are, are, are explosively contracted or dynamically contracted uh, really fast. So this mimics running, right? This mimics all explosive movements, punching, kicking, throwing. Um, everything, anytime you're trying to be explosive, muscle has to relax before it contracts. That's why when you, you know, you watch, if you see someone like me get in a fight, my shoulders are shrugged up, my fists are clenched really tight. You know, I don't know how to fight. I'm not a trained fighter. If you see a boxer or, or an MMA fighter, right, when they're, when they're kind of moving around, their hands are open, their jaws open, like they're relaxed. You know what I mean? Their shoulders are down because you can't be explosive 
when you're tight and clenched, right? Try it. Go to go to a punching bag, get every muscle as tight as you can, and then punch as hard as you can. And then punch the natural way that feels proper, right? Kind of relax and then pop it. You know what I mean? I'm not I'm not a boxing coach or a fighting coach by any stretch, so I don't teach people how to punch. But just try that out yourself. You'll notice uh, that when you're when you're super tight and contracted, you can't possibly be explosive. Um, so again, another benefit the box squat has over the free squat, we have this relaxed over combat dynamic phase, uh, where essentially muscles are completely relaxed and then explosively contracted, um, and that's gonna that's gonna help um, improve explosive strength in a way that the free squat can't. Um, Another reason that we, let me kind of go through my list here, uh, box squats are harder than free squats. This one has to come with a caveat because they're only harder when they're done properly. It's really, really, really easy to cheat a box squat and lie to yourself and say that you can squat this much when you fucking can't. Trust me, I did it in my powerlifting career when I was trying to learn to box squat. The way that I learned to box squat was box squatting incorrectly and hurting myself and fucking up attempts and meets because my strength was off because I was cheating off the box. It's super easy to sit on a box and then kind of reload and fire into the bar. And it's, it's, if you are not really, really experienced in box squatting yourself and in coaching it, um, you're not going to see this. But it's really easy to, to, I just call it getting loose and reload and get back under that weight and have some almost momentum to it that you wouldn't have otherwise. Whereas when you box squat correctly, there is there's nothing. You sit on the box and you drive out, you know, explosively contract and drive hard. Um, and I, it's another thing I can't explain. I can only see, um, but it's really easy to reload under the bar in a box squat and cheat it. Um, so box squats are harder. And I believe the number that Louie likes to throw out is that you'll free squat 15% more than you box squat. Um, which was my experience in powerlifting about 15 to 20% more, uh, than my best box squat. So yeah, um, box squats tougher than free squats. Um, and that's again because you have the static overcome by dynamic phase and the relaxed overcome by dynamic phases um, because you're sitting on the box kind of breaking up that that kinetic energy um, that's uh, that, that's why it's tougher um, and then let's now that we're here and I luckily had made this note as we all heard me awkwardly do um, wide stance versus close stance squat why do we always squat wide I shouldn't say always we do close squat and we are stronger than everyone else when we close squat too um, but the majority of the time we wide squat wide stance squat and that's because wide stance will build close but close will never never build wide and i know we've touched on this on the podcast and in the past um but i'm just going to hammer on it real quick just to kind of get the message across again Um, basically it was proven with emg studies there's no measurable difference between um quadricep muscle fiber recruitment when we're talking wide stance versus close stance squats Um, but there is a measurable difference in terms of hamstring recruitment uh, and hip musculature recruitment um, so you're, you're getting more of that with the wide stance squat. So again, we go back to what we talked about, box squat versus free squat. I want more bang for my buck. I want every rep to be worth the most that it can be, if that makes sense, right? We're getting more out of squatting wide than we would squatting close. doesn't mean we that we never squat close, um, but the vast majority of the time we're wide. Wide meaning probably wider than the athlete thought they would squat and and outside of shoulder width doesn't not necessarily you know like louis and and when i was powerlifting you know touching the outside of the mono with our feet not necessarily that wide with our athletes um but wider than you would probably expect them to be squatting um and again because we're just getting more out of each rep with that um so that's sort of the the wide stance versus close stance debate um in a nutshell um so yeah first solo podcast uh i i think it went well I don't know. I don't have any critics here. Dozer seems happy. 
So I think it went well. Um, in terms of hip-hop, I'm still really in this deep dive on 444 by Jay-Z. It's really a, an incredible um, kind of... It's, it's an incredible work of art, really. I find every time I listen to it, and I listen to it a lot. I'm even listening to it when I train right now. Um, it's I, I learn something every time I listen to it. I'm amazed at how well-written it is and just how much knowledge jay-z is able to share through that album um i guess he's probably getting close to 50 now i don't know what his age is but like he's he's older for sure so he's got some knowledge man so if you're if you're my age, like i'm 27 uh if you're where i'm at in life where you can kind of you're staring 30 down the face and you're like what the fuck happened i was 19 yesterday um check that out man there's there's a lot of good lessons in there um for just for life in general um, 444, a work of art, solo podcast, complete. Check back with more of these soon. I got to do a deadlift one, even though I fucking hate deadlifts. Um, but we'll get it done. Uh, for now, that's all I got. Peace. This is brought to you by Head to Head Productions. We want to thank you guys for listening. You're the only reason we exist. So keep on liking and sharing.